If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as we continue in our text there. Uh, I'll tell you what, if this, if this doesn't get you excited about reading God's Word, I don't know what will. Uh, this is so exciting. I mean, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit earlier in the chapter. Paul is talking about this great mighty rushing winds and the tongues of flaming fire that come. I don't understand all that is, but I know that the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit empowered them, gave them the ability to do all that God had asked them to do. And then we saw last week that he changes his focus from the Holy Spirit to on Jesus coming. And then he continues that focus a little bit this morning. But as we continue in our text in Acts 2, we're reminded of Peter's words from prophet Joel that God would pour out His Spirit on all of mankind. Isn't that awesome? Is that when God... There's this, there's this idea out there in you know, the nebulous world that God just kind of created it and then He just kind of let it go to do whatever happened. No, God is not a God of disorder. God is a God of order. And God created this world in such a way that He did not just leave us, though some people may think that may be the case. What God did leave us was His Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to empower us, to fill us in all these areas so that we can continue to do what He has called us to do. And so we see that Joel was reminding me that God would pour out His Spirit on all mankind and God would empower them through the Holy Spirit to work in and through them. Now Peter turns his attention to the words of David in verses 25 through 28 and then on through verse 36, Peter turns his attention back onto Jesus. So if you would, follow along. I'm going to read verses uh, 25 and down. Uh, through verse 39 or so. And uh, I want you to just take in these words and consider it. You know, we don't do a ton of reading out loud, and we're not going to do that this morning, but just think about the words that we're going to read and just contemplate them, think about them. In fact, you'll see this word throughout the book of Psalms from time to time. As you're going along, all of a sudden it'll just stop. In the middle of a sentence, or at the end of a sentence, in between a couple of verses, it'll have that word selah. The word selah. It just means to stop and think about it. Meditate on what was just said. So I'm just going to say, put a big sila in here as you're reading through it. Think about it. Apply it. So I want to begin reading verse 25 here. It says this. It says, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on His throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that His soul was not left in Hades, nor did His flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says of himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now think about that one phrase just for a moment. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. How many times in Acts chapter 2 
did he say something along this line of pay attention, listen to this words. Everyone there, you can hear my voice. Listen to what I'm saying. And now he's saying it again. This is like the fourth or fifth time he says it. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know. He wanted them to understand who this Jesus was. Now when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children to all who are afar off as many as our Lord God will call. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts once again. Use your word to not only challenge us, but to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we read the following verses, we see Peter quoting David from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. It's almost a direct paraphrase of of this uh, passage in Psalm 16. And in that text, David sees Jesus, our Lord, on the cross, and then risen and ascended. And truly, as we think about this is the gospel message. And we see that again in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, and if you're not familiar with it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 is the gospel message. And it says this, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel message. That Jesus Christ came, that He died, that He was buried, and that He rose again. But you're going to notice several things here in this text that 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 David felt, or that David experienced because of his knowledge of who the Lord was. So right away in verse 25, he says several things here. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. So notice the closeness that David felt. Continually before me. He is at my right hand. And when you think about this, it's like, wow. Even David in the Old Testament said, I felt like his presence was with me. He said he was continually at my right hand. And really this symbolizes God's protection and his presence in his life. And I have to think that oftentimes, you know, I hear people say from time to time, like, I, I just don't sense God's presence. I just don't sense that God is near me. I just don't sense that he's anywhere. I just feel like he's just kind of let me out there to hang out and to dry out and to do whatever, you know, just accept whatever happens. But that's not the case. God's Word says over and over, He says, I am always with you. If you draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. He says that my presence is everywhere that you can be. He makes that so clear. Psalm 139, Hebrews chapter 4. Over and over, God says, my presence is there. And David was just reiterating the fact that he felt God's presence. And he says this, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He's at my right hand. And if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you should have the same privilege. You should have the same experience that you know that Jesus is with you. And I tell people often, you have to rest in what you know, not in what you feel. Right? Because what we feel will lead us astray. What we feel may not be accurate. But what we know, based on God's Word, will never change. It's always going to be true. So we notice the closeness that David felt. Number two, we notice the encouragement that David felt at the end of verse 26. He says, I will not be shaken. My heart will be glad. Now think about this. He's saying, my heart will not be shaken. It's really a resolution. He says, I'm not going to let the circumstances... Now think about this. David had a lot of different unique circumstances in his life, did he not? 
I mean, people chasing him. I mean, I, I, does anybody had a whole army after you? David did. Uh, it's an amazing thing. In fact, when I went to Israel, I saw where David was hiding out in the caves. Unique circumstances. But can you imagine a whole army chasing after you? And they got one thing in mind. They're going to kill you. Or at least they're going to try. Uh, David had a lot, but he says, my mind's made up. I will not be shaken. That is a resolution that he is making. I'm not going to let the circumstance... And I'm telling you, too many of us sitting in this room today are allowing circumstances to dictate our actions. In a negative way. Let me say it that way. In a negative way. Because if we have God on our side, He says, if God be for us, who can be against us, right? He says, I will not be shaken. It's a resolution that David says, I am trusting in God. My faith is in Him. And I'm not going to be shaken. And therefore, my heart will be glad. You have to realize that sometimes I may not always be happy, but I've got joy, right? There are circumstances I don't really appreciate. Circumstances I would not choose. Things I would not get up in the morning and say, hey, I want to go through that headache. You know, there are things that happen that we don't control. We can't control. But we can control how we respond to them. And he says, I will be glad. My heart will be glad. So you notice the encouragement that he felt because of who he knew. Um, even the idea of facing the cross did not lessen the joy that even Christ had. Uh, think about this just for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, I love this verse, it says this. Talking about Jesus, you know, and as, as, as David is reflecting on the life of Jesus, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, he says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine any circumstance in my life where I'm about to face pain or discomfort or something that I would not look forward to doing would be joyous. I, I don't know about you, I pray that God would not let me be participant in harm. I mean, how many of you, every time you get in a car and go somewhere, you pray for a safety in your travels? I don't want to experience trouble. I don't think anyone in this room does. We pray for a life of ease every chance we get. God protect us. God keep us safe. God give us a blessed journey. We, we want a life of ease. And when you look at what Jesus went through, David felt the encouragement of knowing Him. But even Jesus, the example that He said, who for the joy that was set before Him. What was Jesus about to do the joy of the cross the the pain of the cross the suffering of the cross the shame of the cross and yet he said for the joy that is set before me he endured it wow that's that's to me humbling despising the shame as set down at the right hand of god but david's encouragement was from what he knew not what he felt number 3 notice david's response in verse 26 Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. So once again, he says, my heart was glad, my tongue exalted, my flesh lives in hope. Despite everything that he could face, despite everything he was going through, his mind was made up. And his response is that my heart was going to be glad. My tongue exalted. What is the idea of a tongue exalting? You say, I don't know, I don't really speak in King James language anymore. Uh, the idea of his tongue exalting is the idea is that he was praising God and worshiping. 
man, some of you are like a bump on a pickle. I mean, you come out there and it's like, music's too loud. Come on, enjoy the worship. It may not be your cup of tea. I'm telling you, I don't care for all the 7-Eleven choruses sometimes, you know. Anybody know what a seven, as Don's dad affectionately says, seven words 11 times. Um, that's some of it, but you know, I always love the hymns. You know, we're singing about the goodness and the doctrine and the theology of God. And then when we sing about some of the choruses, we're singing a prayer as it were to God. And I think both sides are good and both sides are necessary. But sometimes you get this idea, I'm not going to worship. I used to joke and. um, you know, I grew up in a church where you didn't raise your hand. You might be considered Pentecostal if you did that. You raise your hand, you start start to sing, and the hand goes, oh, bad hand, bad hand. Get that, get that down there. Get that down there. You know, it's just, <laughs> some of you are like, you're meddling. Um, but I grew up in that church. I remember I had a youth group. We were, we were doing a mission trip in our youth group, and we were at this church in Michigan. And all of a sudden, one lady in the back, this older lady, she started to lift up her hands. And one of the girls in my youth group said, yes, ma'am, you have a question. And I'm like... We have this idea, some of you just have not learned to worship yet. And I'm not saying you've got to raise your hands to worship, but some of you are so consumed with what everyone else thinks and what everyone else is doing that you just won't worship the Lord. He says, my tongue exalted. He said, I'm seeing everything that Jesus has done. I'm seeing everything that He's doing, and my tongue is exalted. He says, I'm not ashamed to worship and sing. And the reality, he says, my flesh lives in hope. He said, this is not a despairing life. He says, I live in hope. And if you know Jesus, you have what? Hope. And the wor- <laughs> I was talking to my neighbor over here yesterday afternoon. And uh, what a bum day. I, I thought I had a bad day until I talked to, talked to Jacob. I, thought, I, I, I took one lap around the yard and my belt broke on my lawnmower. I was like, man, that is a bummer. And Jake's like, yeah, my track broke on the bobcat. My tire blew on the backhoe. Blew a field... Yeah, my, my belt doesn't look too bad after all. <laughs> you know, the reality is we get so hung up on everything that's going on. And we forget that our life is not in this world. It's in the world to come. He says, we, he's, David says, my response is I'm living in hope. And notice in verse 27 what David believed. And I think we could do well to learn from David in this point. Verse 27 it says, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He says, what he believes is that you have not forsaken me. You will make me full of gladness. The bottom line is, he said, I know what's coming. Verse 28, you have made me to know the ways of life. You will make me to full of joy in your presence. He says, my attitude is that I'm looking up. And this is all from what he learned from, from Jesus. You know, when you look at that, these are not trite statements. These are statements that come from one who knew who the Lord was. And sometimes I wonder, when we live in despair, when we live in the, with the reality that everything is just doom and gloom, where's our focus? And if it's not on Jesus, who's it on? What is it on? I was talking to my neighbor over here, and I'm sitting there talking to him. He goes, Ken, he goes, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I'm struggling a little bit. And I said, really? I said, what is it? He goes, I just see everything going on around me. He goes, it's just, he goes, the only thing I have is hope in Jesus. And I said, that, you're right, Pete, that's all we do have. Because everything else is, a, is going to, you know, going to tank, right? I mean, you look at everything going on in politics, in the world, and finances, and inflation, and all this stuff that's going on around us. Man, if you, if you dwell on that, you focus on that, man, there's no hope. But if our hope is on Jesus, 
The rest of it doesn't matter. I was asked to sign a journal that I gave to someone the other day. And they said, well, would you write in it just so I can remember who gave it to me? And I just put these words. Keep your eyes vertical and the horizontal will take care of itself. But is that not true? If we concentrate on what is vertical, our relationship with God, the horizontal will take care of itself. I need that reminder every day. Because if I'm not careful, I can see what's going on and get really frustrated and really irritated. I made the mistake after not watching the news for about a month to turn it on to see what was happening. Ugh! Why did I do that? Irritation all over again. I want to throw a brick at the TV. Why? Because it's designed to get our focus off Jesus. Look at verses 29-32. through 32. He says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne, his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Think about this. As we read further into this text, Peter changes his focus. He reminds his readers it was not David was not the man. David was a great example, and we learned some things from David. David was not the man. David died. He was buried. He's still in the grave. It was not David who would fulfill prophecy, but rather David's confidence in what he spoke of came as a prophet from Psalm 132, verse 11. Here the fruit of David's body referred to his offspring from which the Messiah would come. Can you imagine that? If you've ever done any type of ancestry looking up of who's in your family lineage and all that stuff, uh, I've been told there's a couple of famous people in my family. I'm not going to say who they are because she was a lunatic uh, from what I hear. She was in a sane asylum for a part of her life. Mary Lincoln Todd. Um, Mary Todd Lincoln, I should say. Uh, the reality is when you start thinking about your family lineage and your ancestors, can you imagine being David? Who came from his offspring? Jesus. Can you imagine? How cool is that? So as he's talking about this offspring of his lineage, what's going to happen, over and over he says, it's not about David. We learn from David, but it's not about him. He wasn't the man. He was just a man that God used to bring about the Savior of the world. And Peter's conclusion in verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up from which we are all witnesses. And then in verse 34, Peter quotes Psalm 110, verse 11. In verse 34, he says, For David did not ascend into heavens, but he says to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. He concludes once again that Jesus is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And then he says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly. In other words, there is no doubt about this. There's no doubt about what I'm telling you. It's fact. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we see that again over in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 11. He reiterates this. He says, uh, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus came to this earth, rejected of men, and yet and despised the men, God's Word tells us. And yet He willingly gave His life. 
He laid it down for you and I. And notice the response of the people in verse 37. Now when they heard this, as, as Peter is starting to focus and hone in sharply on who Jesus is, notice the response of the people, verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, when we learn of Jesus and who He is and what He's done, I think it requires or it, it demands a response from us in some way. Some people will hear of Jesus and they say, ah, not for me. Other people will hear about Jesus and they say, I want to know more. And other people say, wow, I want to know Him. I don't know where all of you are today. There's this assumption sometimes that if you go to church and you're a good person, you kind of help out with those the needs that are presented, and you just kind of live an overall generally decent life, you must be saved and going to heaven. Wrong assumption. There's a lot of people in churches are filled across America and around the globe full of people who might be sincere, who might be interested in spiritual or religious things, and one day they're going to hear from God, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, you might know of me. You might heard of some things about me. You might even done some things for me. But I never knew you. And that's going to be an unfortunate day for many. But when they heard about who this Jesus was, it's amazing. He says, what do we do? He says, they were cut to the heart. The words of Peter through the Holy Spirit convicted them deeply. And by the way, no man can change the heart of another man. You ever, you ever thought about that? There's nothing I can do to change your heart. I can sit there and scream verses at you. I can scream quotes of other great preachers at you. I can, I can try to convince you with every ounce of energy I've got about how great God is and who Jesus is. And I cannot do one thing to change your heart. Only God can do that. Did you know that? How many of you have people you wish they would change? Two hands and a foot. I cannot change their heart. But you know what I can do? Pray that God will. Sometimes we have this idea that I just have to harp a little bit longer, a little bit louder, convince them a little bit deeper, and that maybe some way they will somehow get it. And I still come to the conclusion, I cannot change the heart of a person. Only God can do that. And by the way, it hasn't stopped me from trying a couple times. And a lot of other people I know that try. But the bottom line is, only the Holy Spirit can do that. And we have to pray that the Holy Spirit will do that in the lives of those who need a relationship with Jesus. The people were ready to respond. How do I know that? Look at verse 38. It said, verse 37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Several key words here. He basically said two words. Repent, be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Peter is really teaching them a couple of valuable principles here. What does it mean to repent? 
the whole idea of repentance really has to do with two main key thoughts. To change one's mind and to deliberately turn away. Those are the two key phrases in the idea and the principles of repentance. To change one's mind. See, I have a mindset that I'm going to do this, I'm thinking this, I believe this, I want, you know, this is my opinion, this is my experience. I have this idea in my mind that I'm right about this circumstance, and now I'm changing my mind because I've been confronted with truth. Right? So when I repent, I'm coming to the conclusion I've heard something that is true, that is right, that is from God's Word, and I'm convicted of the idea that what I believed concerning this is not correct, it's not right, and I'm willing to change my mind. I'm willing to repent. The other idea is that I'm deliberately going to change my mind and my way and my direction. In other words, I'm going this way, I'm confronted with truth, I now believe and understand from God's Word it's wrong, so I'm turning my back on it and going that way. And until you repent of the sinfulness of our, of our flesh and really put your faith and trust in Christ, you don't know Jesus. You see, you can't say, I, I know Jesus and I have a relationship with Him and still continue to go on the, as you would apart from Him. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot live for Jesus and for the world at the same time. I cannot live for all the things that this world has to offer and still claim to know Jesus. It doesn't work that way. God's Word says all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And what's he say at the end of verse 18? It's going to what? Pass away. If I'm still living for the things of this world, I've never come to a place of true repentance. And so repentance only comes when I begin to agree with God, and I change my mind from what I believe to what God's Word says is true, and I deliberately turn away from sin and to righteousness. It's only when I practice biblical repentance that I can claim that I truly know Jesus. So if I'm still living for the things of this world and living as the rest of the world lives, I have to really question whether or not I've really come to true repentance. It's not my words, it's God's Word. But we ought to be thinking about that. So this is for anyone and everyone who acknowledges that they need forgiveness. If you need forgiveness, you have to come to a place of repentance. But not only that, in 1 John 1, 1.9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question then becomes, what is my responsibility to receiving God's forgiveness? I have to what? Confess it. You ever heard anybody say this? There's been this conflict between you and another person. They say, well, if I offended you, I'm sorry. That is so lame. If I offended you. You wouldn't be having the conversation if you didn't know you offended them. If. Take the word if out of it. I offended you. Acknowledge it. Take responsibility of it. Claim your sinfulness in it. And repent of it. It's not the idea if you did it. If you're having the conversation, you know you did it. Right? Let's be honest. The reality is that our responsibility is that we have to be willing to confess it. See, we want the blessings of God, but we don't want to deal with the issues of sin in our life so often. And let me just say something that some of you will be a little bit upset about, but I'm just going to say it because I believe it's true. Some of you pray and God is not listening. I'm just saying. You say, well, is that biblical? Yeah, it is. Psalm 66:18 says what? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will what? 
overlook it. Think about it. He says, I'll not hear it. Some of us have unresolved sin. Things that we know are unbiblical in our life. Things that we know grieve the heart of God. And yet, eh, we'll deal with it later. It's not that big a deal. It's just a little thing. I mean, it's not hurting anyone else. And those are the very things that God says, you know it's in your life, and you're choosing not to do anything with it. And God says, when you regard or observe and choose not to do with that, deal with that sin in your life, He says, I'll not hear you. God, I need your blessing. I need your protection. I need your provision. He's saying, deal with your sin. Is that God? Yeah, that's the side of God we don't want to talk about. But it's God's Word. It's not my Word. It's His. So we have to be willing to say, God, here's my part of the sinfulness I've not dealt with. Lord, I'm sorry. And name what it is that you know you haven't dealt with. And God's Word being so powerful and awesome and true. He says, if you will confess your sin, I'll forgive you and cleanse your heart. But the responsibility is on us to deal with the issue of sin that we may not dealt with. So to repent means I have to come in agreement with God concerning my sin and say my way is wrong, God's way is right. But he doesn't just say repent. He also says be baptized. You say, well, does baptism save you? No, it doesn't. Baptism is a step of obedience following our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a step of obedience following faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Just this last week, someone was talking about infant baptism. Is it biblical? No, it's not. Not one place in Scripture will you see an example of a baby being baptized for salvation. Someone comes to me and says, can we have baptized our baby? No. Nope, not for me. Because it's not biblical. Child dedication, 100%. But the reality, baptism always follows belief. And so you see Jesus Christ by his own example, stepping down into the water and then coming up out of the water. Why? Because baptism is by immersion. And you say, well, why, why is it important that one be immersed in baptism? Why can't I just be sprinkled in baptism? Because as I've said it a hundred times, and those of you who have been here for 11 years, you've seen it. When I stand in the water, I form a what? Huh? Cross. Stand in the water, I form a cross. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He died. He was buried. Right? He is buried. We go under the water. And then as we come up out of the water, we're representing what? His resurrection. Baptism done correctly, according to Scripture, pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what happens in burial? The old man is crucified and the new man is raised to life. So when he says be baptized, he's saying, listen, not only repent, but put to death the things that are sinful. Put to death the things that are of the flesh. Put to death the things that are not godly. So when he says being baptized, you're putting to death the things that are not of God. So he says, immerse, you can't just practice, you can't, you can't demonstrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by sprinkling. It has to be by immersion. It's the only way one can truly picture the death and the resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9, it says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how that we turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, 
you know, the whole idea behind all of this is that there is a turning away from the things that are sinful. Turning away from idolatry. You say, well, I don't have any idols. What does that verse have to do with me? I don't have a shrine in my house. Well, maybe I do. It's about a 60-inch Vizio. So I don't have any idols. Well, maybe yours is a Samsung. Maybe it's a Sony. Maybe it's an LG. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. But anything that we give more time and energy and attention to in our lives has the potential of being an idol in our life. Did you get that? You may not have a side room that you have a, you know, a statue of some God that you're bowing down to. But anything, rest assured, anything that you give more time, energy, and attention to has the potential of being an idol in your life. And that's why he says we have to turn from idols to the living God. There should be nothing that controls us more than God. I don't know, that's hard in this world that we live in. The whole idea in this world that we live in is that, man, we want anything that brings us joy and happiness and satisfaction and anything that we think would just make us happy. I mean, that's what we go all in on. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, I'm almost there. Matthew 10, verse 32 says this. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You know, when I think about this, I've had some people in the past say, well, Pastor, I, 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 I believe in Jesus. I, I put my trust in Him. I say, wow, praise God, that's wonderful. Best decision you ever made in your life is to truly follow Jesus and to know Him. I want to get baptized. I said, oh, that's great. It's a great step of obedience once you know Jesus. Can I, can I do it on Saturday? Because I'm kind of shy. I don't really want to do it in front of the church. No. <laughs> Actually, we can't do that on Saturday. I had one person ask me if they could come over to the church on a Saturday and get baptized in private. And I said, no. I said, unfortunately, I said, that's the whole blessing of it. You see, baptism is a public profession of a private decision. No one makes you get saved. Nobody forces you to put your trust in Jesus. But when you come to the conclusion and God's working in your heart to draw Him to yourself and you truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then you want to take that step of obedience, it's a public proclamation. It should be for all of us to, to say, wow, praise God. He's not ashamed. He's not, he's, not, he's not afraid to let everyone know that He knows Jesus. I wonder how often we're afraid to let someone know we're a Christian. I mean, they're going to think we're weird. Well, they already think you're weird. If they think you're weird, being a Christian is not going to change that. I'm just saying. If you're weird, you're weird. Being a Christian is not going to fix that. But the reality is, you're, some of us are so worried about what other people think that you're afraid to say anything. Because what if they think you're strange? Or what if they think I'm a goody-two-shoe? Or what if they think I'm a holy roller that never does anything wrong? People are going to think what they want. And you think you're going to change what they think of you? There's only one that you need to worry about. Galatians 1.10 If I should please men, I should what? Not be the servant of Christ. I mean, I hope you're all my friends. I hope, I hope you think, think, think a lot of me. But ultimately, I don't care. Ultimately, there's only one person I'm going to stand before when I die. And that's God. And so the reality is, 
Who am I living for? What am I living for? But he makes it very clear. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Who are you ashamed of? It's a public proclamation. In Matthew chapter 26, over there, just a few pages. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. When we talk about communion and the importance of the cup that represents the Lord's shed blood, he says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the, for the remission of sins. The whole idea of Christ dying on the cross is that he shed his blood, that we might have forgiveness. Um, over in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Isn't that not cool? I mean, we have forgiveness of sins. And that's what we're to exemplify in our lives, that we are walking in forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together within, having forgiven you all trespasses. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. I'm thankful that He doesn't just hold it against us forever. I'm thankful that we serve a God who is patient and takes time for us to realize that when we're in sin and to deal with that sin. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, I write to you as little children because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I'm thankful for the forgiveness that He offers us in Jesus Christ. When I think about this, when He says, so what should be my response to knowing who this Jesus is? Back in our text, He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You know what that means? They were convicted. Realizing who Jesus was, realizing who, what Jesus did, they were cut to the heart. Some of your translations in your Bibles may say the word they were pricked in their heart. It's the idea that they were poked. They come to the realization. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And he says, what do we do about it? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 39, he says, repent, be baptized. Then verse 39, he says, for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. In verse 38, Peter reminds us of the gift we are given. The gift. I mean, think about it. Then Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before, but how many of you have ever given a gift? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever received a gift? Did you ever make the person that you gave the gift work for it? I mean, hey, Joey, I got this gift for you, but I need you to go mow the yard before you can have it. In fact, I need you to vacuum the whole house and then, yeah, i got two, three other things. Then I'll give you the gift. If I had to work for the gift, it ceased to be a gift. Right? We don't work for gifts. We don't work to receive gifts. He says, I'm giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think some of us don't realize what a gift that really is. Just let this sink in for a minute. You've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means you'll never walk alone. 
if you know Jesus. Yeah, that's ultimate accountability. You can't hide from them. But it's ultimate comfort as well. That no matter where I go, no matter what I do, He lives within me if I know Him. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit if you know Jesus. He freely gives it to us. But then He concludes this part of the text in verse 39 by saying this, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call. Think about that just for a moment. Really, it's a reiteration of what we saw just a couple chapters back, or a couple verses back in verse 21. He says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. That's how he includes it. He says, If you're willing to call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, He says, for He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished His flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments and contained in ordinance so as to create in Himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off. There's that phrase. And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. He gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus by giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to live within us. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says the Holy Spirit lives within us if we know Him. And he says, who can know Him? Anybody who is willing to call on His name. I said it a hundred times over the years. Just because you're here doesn't necessarily make you saved or on your way to heaven or that you know Jesus. People sit in churches all across America and around the world every week that don't have the slightest clue who Jesus is. But they're there. Maybe they're searching but don't know Him yet. Maybe they got questions. They're just trying to find answers. Maybe they're just trying to prove them wrong and untrue. And on not real. But until you are come to the place where you are willing to repent, come in agreement with God concerning who you are and what you've done, you're born in sin, and to put your faith and trust in Him, until you are willing to repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness of sin and put your faith and trust in Him, you don't know Jesus. You might know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And I don't ever want to assume that while you're here, you must have a knowledge of Him. So the question is, do you truly know Him? This Jesus that Peter was preaching, do you know that Jesus? The One who died on the cross, who shed His blood, that we might have forgiveness of sins. Those several verses that we just looked at from Matthew and Ephesians, Colossians. He came and shed His blood that we might have forgiveness of sins. And until we come to that place in our understanding of who Jesus is and what He's done. Well, that's the greatest decision you could ever make is to put your trust in Him. I trust that you know Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the opportunity to know You and to know Your Word. 
And Lord, I do pray, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation. Because, Lord, Your Word reminds us that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know You, might today be the day of salvation for them. So, Lord, I pray that You, through Your Holy Spirit, would work in hearts and draw us to Yourself, Father. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple question. Every week, as I share from God's Word, I give us a, all of us an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. So just for a moment, just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I, I ask that you just, in your mind, think about a couple of questions. Do you truly know Jesus? Have you come to that place in your mind and in your heart that you've put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone? Not in good works, not in good deeds, not in being nice, not in trying to be sincere, but have you really come to the place that you truly know Him? You've come to the place where you've repented of your sins. You've come in agreement that with Jesus Christ and what He says concerning, I've repented of those sins. I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And I've put your faith and trust in Him. But you say, maybe maybe you're one here today and you say, Pastor Ken, I don't know for certain. I'm not really sure. But I'm concerned about it. Let me just say, if you're here this morning and that's you, I'll not embarrass you. I'll not call you out. I'll not look at you strange. I usually say with an uplifted hand or look straight at my eyes. Let me catch your eye so I can just pray for you. Anyone like that this morning? You're just not sure that you know Jesus. Are you sure? Just look at me. I'd be glad to just pray for you. There's one. Is there others? Say, I'm just not sure. I want to know. I'm not certain, but I'm concerned. Anyone like that this morning? I just challenge you, it is a simple childlike faith. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that Christ died for my sins. Just talk to Jesus that way. It's not my prayer can't save you, my faith can't save you. That's your own step of faith between you and God. Just simply saying, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Just tell him that. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And then simply put your faith in Him, in Him alone. Jesus, I want to trust You. I want to put my faith in You and what You did for me on the cross. Begin a relationship with Him. Then another question is this. For those of you that claim to know Jesus, are you denying Him with your life? Are you ashamed of Him with your life? Are you afraid to talk about Him because of what others may think or feel or say? He says, if you deny me, I'll deny you before my Father in Heaven. That's a harsh reality. Let's not be ashamed. He says, I have given you all power, Acts 1.8. 2 Timothy, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. We should not be ashamed. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Let's not be ashamed of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Maybe this morning you need to receive the challenge to not be ashamed, to not deny who Jesus is and what He's done. Say, Pastor, I need more boldness. I need more confidence. I need to claim God's Word and start standing up for what I believe and who I believe in. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning?
Yes, 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 front and the back. Let's not be ashamed of who Jesus is and what he's done. Can I challenge you to just take a moment, everyone that's here today, take a moment and say, God, draw me close. Help me to have the same appreciation for Jesus as Peter did. And as Peter stood before the crowd, he said, listen, pay attention. He was not ashamed. And he wanted everyone to know who Jesus is and what he'd done with the help of the Holy Spirit empowering us to do that. Can I invite you to stand to your feet this morning as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for who You are and what You've done. And I pray, God, that even though, Lord, we look at Peter sometimes and, Lord, we kind of laugh and, Lord, even ridicule sometimes how spontaneous Peter was and what he did and what he said. But, Lord, he made no bones about the fact of who Jesus was in this passage. And he, over and over, pay attention, listen, men of Israel and all who are here, listen to what I'm saying. Because this message is important. We live in a world that needs to hear this message. May we have that same boldness. Lord, be with each one, Lord, in this room, Lord. If they don't know you, Lord, I pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself. And Lord, I pray for those of us who do, Lord, may we never be ashamed. May we never deny knowing you. May we always have, Lord, a vibrant relationship with You. So, Lord, work in our hearts to draw us closer to You. Be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards You this morning, Lord. May they see victory in their walk with You this week, Lord. May they sense Your presence at work in their lives every day, Lord. And, Lord, may we praise You, Lord. And, Lord, might we be willing to confess our sin, Lord, as soon as it's revealed to us. Lord, when there are issues of sin in our life, Lord, may we be quick to deal with those areas of sinfulness, Lord, for which you died and shed your blood for. Lord, may we not regard iniquity in our hearts so that our prayers will be heard. Lord, we know that you're a God who loves us, cares for us, and wants to bless us. May we work on our relationship with you, Lord, acknowledging your love to us, your patience to us, your grace, your mercy every day. And we'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.